Well, we've been in uh, Romans for a couple weeks now. So thankful for um, Bill coming over last week and pointing us to Jesus. Um, it's, it's really cool when we get the opportunity to actually see that we are uh, more than just what we see on a Sunday, but we are the church together in a lot of different ways. And, and uh, institutionally, we're together with Pineda, which is really sweet. And so to have Bill and Lizzie come over and, and serve us in that way was a real gift, and I'm thankful But we're back in Romans uh, at the end of chapter 1 in our little mini-series here before, um, in in two weeks, September 10th, we'll launch into the history of redemption. And so we're we're actually going to read the whole of the Bible together. Now, we're going to skip some some parts, but we're going to read the the whole story arc of the Bible together. And it's going to be really sweet, so I'm I'm looking forward to that. Um, But we're in the end of Romans. And Paul has talked about the reality of this gospel truth that is powerful enough to save us, that is a a righteousness that you and I do not have, that we need that's outside of us, and we need it for a lot of different reasons. And that's actually what he's been pointing to in verses 18 through 32. What are the reasons that you and I need a salvation and a righteousness that's not our own? And we saw those first couple weeks where we've seen that um, one of the main reasons is our idolatry. Like we hold up things that should, that are good things often, that should not be held up above God. And yet, while maybe when we speak, we say that God's above those things, our lives are oriented in such a way that they actually show that these other things are above God. We leverage our time and our talent and our treasure I got a screen time notice today. That's one of the things I don't like about Apple. They tell me how much I worshipped other things last week. (laughs) How many hours I did it more than the week before. And I'm like, man, that's tough. But but it's a a sobering thing, right? It's a a thing that should bring us to a place of repentance. It says, God, yeah, that's true. I did. I, I worshipped other things. I spent a lot of wasted time on things that don't matter, instead of serving you with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? But even that is not condemnation. That's, that's daddy telling son, hey, come on, let's do this thing together. Don't forget who I am and what I've done because I'm worthy of everything that you have. My spirit's working in you to change you. And so even this morning, as we look at, at what can feel very weighty, we remember that, that Christ has saved, that Christ has come to, as a king who, who orders not only like societal norms, but he orders our homes. And not, he doesn't just stop there. He orders our hearts to the degree that we would be right with him. And then out of those rightly ordered hearts, those rightly ordered passions, those pure thoughts and longings, then we actually live in a way that gives him glory, just like Daniel was praying in our prayer of confession, that God would be glorified, that his name would be lifted high. So this morning, we're going to read some more about the ways that we are idolatrous, the ways that we have made uh, these other things more important than who God is. And remember, this idolatry comes out of a dark and foolish heart. We read that in Romans 1, 21 through 23, a dark and foolish heart and futile thinking. Look back there with me. For although they knew God, 
They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, when we read that, we talked about, hey, we may not have a, an idol that's made out of wood or clay or, or something that's in our home that we worship. But what we're going to see is that we have, we have exchanged God and his place as ruler with our own hearts as place as ruler. We've, we've I, made an idol of our own selves and our own lives, and we're going to look today at the way that we uh, have exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and we're going to look at the cost of this foolish exchange. Because three times, Paul writes, God gave them up. God gave them up. Because of, our, because of uh, humanity's sinful rebellion, God allows us to reap the benefits of our sin. And so we're going to see how that's taken place. And we're going to, we're going to pray. So I need you guys to pray for me right now, even as I pray for you. And we pray together, Lord, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, show us what you want to say today. Show us how, by, by hearing what, you want to, what you're saying, that we would actually change the way that we live so that you would receive all the glory and all the honor and all the praise in our lives. So let's pray together and ask him. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. God, we thank you for the things that, um, even as we read them the very first time, they feel sweet and uplifting. Lord, and we thank you for the things that, that, that seem um, hard and actually make us press in further to, to get understanding to see how you are good in the midst of your wrath, Lord. To see how that's a, a, a good thing for a rebellious people, Lord. So today, would you remind us again, both of our sin, but more so of the good news of the Savior who has come and been, borne the wrath of sin for us who are in Christ. Lord, and may we receive your word with joy today. God, Hide me behind your cross today. And may you be glorified. It's for your name's sake that we would gather, that we'd worship, that we would listen today. Be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we said that there's three, um, three places where Paul writes to the church in Rome and he says God gave them up. Now, our tendency as Americans, because we are the center of the world, just ask us, is to take anything and make it about us. And while there are, there are very clear applications from our passage today, we always have to remember who is writing this, who he's writing it to, and get that context. So Paul is an apostle who has been called and set aside for the gospel Right? The good news of Jesus. Don't, don't forget that. As we, as we dive in uh, to this passage, as we dive in next week, and then when we come back in the spring and get into chapter 2, there's still some more bad news. Like We don't ever really get rid of the bad news of our sin. We continue to confront it. But we confront it with the truth that, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. 
that he has reconciled those who had put their faith in him to himself. And that is the good news. So even as we read about our dishonorable passions and about our impure thoughts and our debased mind, like, like all of those things are true, but they point to the truth of who God is and what he's done in his son to redeem us, to make us right. Verse 24, pick up where we started our reading this morning. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. Why, what is driving this exchange that humanity, that we are making? Remember, we, we're going to get to it in Romans 3, but, but before you and I begin to point fingers and say, that's, that, that qualification, that, that sin that you're talking about, Joel, that's not me. Remember that in Romans 3, he's going to say that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, we do it in different ways, and yet we all deserve the wrath of God. We saw that in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now we're digging into, like, what does that ungodliness, what does that unrighteousness look like? It's played out in so many ways in our lives. So you and I, but for the grace of God, would be walking in all of these things. And yet, God has shown us grace and He's transforming and conforming us into His image and changing us so that our lives would look rightly ordered, so that He would be glorified. But verse 24 says that you and I have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. How, what does that look like? Well, it looks like us trading and exchanging purity for impurity. Instead of seeking to be whole, we seek to be gratified. We seek to be satisfied. Instead of seeking what, is, what God has said is true and right and pure is Himself. If that's the case, then you and I would actually order all of our lives in a way that he has said. And yet, you and I have exchanged certain things. We've exchanged the, the, the time that we have that could be sent, spent worshiping him. We've actually sought our own comfort or our own peace rather than resting in him. We've traded this purity for impurity. We've actually traded the, the essence of who we are for something less. We talked about that two weeks ago, that we, we settle for the substitute rather than looking to the one who is pure and perfect. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, and uh, you, you might have heard of catechisms before, it's, it's a way that, that you learn things by asking questions and giving answers, and, and actually in classical schooling, this was the way that most things were learned. Questions were given, and the students would give the answer back, and they would give it together. And so they would learn these things through repetition. And the Westminster Shorter Catechism is a way that we learn things about who God is. 
And so the first question is a really beautiful one. It says, what is the chief end of man? You and I all want to know that. Like, what is our purpose? What are we, what are we made for? What are we supposed to be doing here? What is the chief end of man? And the answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. You want to know what satisfaction looks like? You want to have a fulfilled life? You, you want to have joy in the midst of suffering? In the midst of brokenness to have peace? We rest in this. We say that my chief end is not myself. My chief end is the glory of God. Somehow Daniel knew that, as we're reading in Daniel 9. Like, he's, he's in Babylon. He's in exile. He's a slave. And yet, he's remembering that his chief end is to glorify God. If God would save his people, it would not be for their satisfaction alone. Like, it would be for his glory. And in him being glorified, they would find their greatest satisfaction. And yet, you and I exchange the glory of God for the glory of mortal man. Instead, we worship all manner of substitutes of which the gods of self and sex currently dominate the scene. The gods of self and sex currently dominate our culture. The, again, what we said earlier, like context, Paul's writing to the Romans 2,000 years ago in Rome. And in that moment, those same gods, little g, of sex and self were dominating the scene. They were dominating culture, whether it was the Greek culture or the Roman culture after it. But there was this um, impurity that was taking place that, that would say, listen, whatever makes you happy, that's what you should do. And you know who was the happiest? The most powerful that could do whatever it is that they wanted to do. And it was all about feeding the self. And it was in, in ways that were, were pretty horrific. Killing slaves. Putting people into arenas with wild animals or these other gladiators that were just massive killers so that these slaves would be slaughtered so that others would just be entertained. That's, that's one of the ways that they were selfish. And it was a pretty graphic and, and horrible thing. And yet, it's not so crazy that we, you and I would not be able to understand that. I, I watched Gladiator, and I thought it was great. Isn't that messed up? Like, I, I, I was entertained 2,000 years later by the same thing that entertained the Romans. And so, like, there's something that's in us that's, that's broken, that's a mess. That we've traded the purity of, of being entertained and in, enjoying what is good for this impure lust of ourself, lust of our flesh, which is what Paul is talking about. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to, their, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. See, this exchange that we're making, where we substitute God, Holy Creator, for what is created, where we 
put self or sex as the uh, ultimate gratification, as the ultimate thing that we're seeking, it doesn't start, like we don't just say, I'm just going to worship myself. Now there are some people that do that. But immediately we don't like those people. But all of us do it in, in maybe less tangible ways. Like there, it, it doesn't just come right out and say, I'm just going to be all about myself and I'm going to be all about sex and I'm going to do whatever it is that I want to do. No, it's a subtle thing. This exchange that you and I make, it can be as, as simple as maybe substituting the authorities that God has placed in our lives and rejecting and rebelling against them. Maybe it's not even an act of rebellion. It's just in my own heart and in my own mind. I'm just saying, mm-mm. Maybe it's parents. Maybe it's teachers. Maybe it's governments. Maybe it's bosses. Like th- it can be just as simple as like this, this inner rejection of the authorities that God has placed in our lives. Again, we talked about God's plan and design for roles and responsibilities is, is not just so that we have an ordered society. Now, listen, if we didn't have... I know that there are some countries that don't have speed limits, and somehow it works okay over there. But in our country, we have speed limits, and it still doesn't work. But, like, those things are laid down. Laws of government are laid down so that our societies would be rightly ordered. So that if you chose, in your selfishness, that that you should just take something from somebody else. There's actually a consequence to it. If you, if you would even go to the extreme of taking their life because they had something that you wanted, there would be a consequence to that. There's, there's brokenness throughout society, and yet you and I live in a more ordered society. And that order is, is good. But what Jesus is, or what Paul's saying is, listen, we don't just need an, an, a better ordered society We need that order to to go into every facet of our lives. And so he hits marriage. He hits um, sexuality. He he points to our hearts. And then at the end, if you haven't been covered yet in verses 31 and 32, or 30 and 31, sorry, 29 through 31, he just has this long list. He's going to hit you somewhere in there. Like, you're reading all of these, and you're like, man, that's pretty crazy. And then you get to disobeying parents, and you're like, come on, that shouldn't be in there. But it's all, man, it's all of us in our rebelliousness to God's right order and rule. Saying, I could be God. I should be God. God, you messed up somewhere. Like, this is not good. I could do it better. Without without you on my own, I can live. And so we... We exchange what is pure and right and true for what is impure. It goes so deep that it's not just about society, it's not just about the family, but it's about our own hearts and minds where we would say, God, you made me wrong. You made me wrong. And so it's, it's pervasive in society that that people are actually changing sex, sex from male to female or female to male because they should be God, because they should be the ones that are in control. They know best. And so this, this idolatry of self is above all things. It's one of the most extreme ways that we, as creature, are attempting to be the creator 
as we restructure and reorder even our sexuality or our sexual biology. See, in each of these spheres, we the creature, humanity, exchange the truth about God for a lie, and we worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator. We're trying to to not be the one who's being told who they are outside of themselves. We're trying to be the one who tells God who we are. And so, because we've done this, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity. You see, this is the result of our futile rejection of God and His truth. He gives us up to our sin. Our willful rejection of God in our hearts leads to improperly ordered thinking and results in impure behavior and lifestyle. Again, we can quickly say, well, I'm not in that category. I'm not the one that's trying to do those extreme things. But all we have to do is look at the way that uh, when, when we're offended, when we're frustrated, when we're angry, and maybe, maybe some of you aren't struggling with those things today. I know I have. In those moments, I'm telling God, God, what you're doing isn't good. It's not right. You should be doing this faster. The people around me should be maturing quicker, like I am. And yet, I'm frustrated and I'm angry, and you're not doing something right. In that moment, I'm saying the very same thing. I should be God. I'm exchanging the truth of God for a lie, and I'm putting myself in the place of the Creator rather than the created. Here's the deal. The things that Paul is writing in this end of Romans 1, he carries over into almost all of his letters to the church. He's telling the church, listen, there's an outside way that is being lived, that is being uh, propagated to each of you, and yet God Himself has said that He is Creator, and He is the one who has designed order and what each of your relationships look like. Whether it's marriage, whether it's brother and sister, whether it's co-worker. We've got a letter to Philemon and Onesimus that tells them how to be slave and master. Like there, He's ordered every relationship. He's got them all in His hands. And He has a way that we should live in them. And yet we reject Him. Culture rejects Him. Our culture is holding up self and saying that However you are satisfied, that's the way that you should live. And if if religion helps you be satisfied, that's great. Do that. If it doesn't, then get rid of it. Jettison it, because you should be happy. And if you're not happy, then something's wrong. Christianity does not offer that. Christianity says that we are broken, and we need a Redeemer. And so God, the very God whose wrath is coming because of the the sin against Him, He has intervened and He has sent His Son to receive the wrath that you and I deserve so that you and I may actually walk in righteousness, that our lives may be rightly put in order. This is the promise of the Gospel. Paul writes it in Ephesians. He says, 
Now this I say and testify to the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in their futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. Futility and darkened. He likes to use those words. Darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. God gave them up to impurity. The lust of their heart that were impure. Galatians, he says the same thing. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Point number two, I know, man. Like, Whoa, we're only on two? Verse 26, Paul writes and says, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Dishonorable passions here is very applicable to the Romans at the turn of the century, and it's very applicable to us today. These dishonorable passions. What is a dishonorable passion? Dishonorable passions are unnatural or outside of God's design in nature. You see it defined as Paul goes on. He says, for their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Paul's clearly saying, that the natural order of how God designed us in relationship with one another is a, is a heterosexual relationship, a man and a woman. And so when, when he defines that homosexuality is actually a sin and a rebellion against God's right ordering, we have to pay attention and we have to listen. And we don't get to come behind that and say, well, God, God, maybe He wasn't saying that. No, the, that's very clearly laid out here. Paul's saying that, that they rejected God and He gave them up to dishonorable passions, women with women and men with men. This idea that... Um, Nature tells us who God is, right? We've, we've talked about that quite a bit in this general revelation of who God is. We looked at it in the Psalms. We looked at it in the beginning of Romans. The idea that all of us are left uh, accountable to knowing God because we see Him in nature. He has rightly ordered things. So that means there must be a Creator who designed things in a specific way. And it's not you it's not me, and it's not anyone else. It is God Himself, the Almighty Creator, who we should worship forever. But we have rebelled against Him and done what is unnatural. These things that are outside of God's design and His plan. 
Paul writes to the Thessalonian church and he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives His Holy Spirit to you. There's a a strong warning there. You and I don't get to live sexually immoral lives. We don't get to live outside of God's design and His plan. And His design and His plan, if you need to know, we go back to Genesis in the creation. And He says in Genesis 1, 27 and 28, so God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. He only lists two. Male and female. And His design in making them is is found in verse 28 of Genesis 1. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God's design, man and woman, in relationship, was for procreation to populate and and subdue and to labor in the care of what He had created. And so if He says that, that it's His design, then you and I, as the created thing, do not get to go and tell the Creator how we should actually be living. Listen, we can, uh, we can say, well, okay, I don't, I don't practice homosexuality, so, um, so I'm good. Like my sexual, I'm, I live a sexually pure life. Look, a sexually pure life goes so deep. We're not just talking about um, heterosexuality. And we're not even just talking about in the confines of marriage. Although that is what God has given, one man for one woman, that they would leave their father and mother, that they would cling together. And that that's where this, this subduing, right, this God blessing them and telling them to be fruitful and multiply. He's talking to Adam and Eve, right? That they would go and do this. This is their commissioning. You see, the, the beautiful sexual purity is when um, we submit our sexuality to God's control and, and it's actually for His glory. You're like, man, <laughs> alright Joel, you just took a step. I don't think I can go with you. Now the reality is that God has designed things in such an order and in such a way that me loving my wife actually gives him glory. Her loving me gives God glory. And if you are single, you abstaining from sex because God has not given you this other person to have relations with is actually giving God glory because you are submitting yourself to God's will in His way. And you're saying, God, I'm going to glorify you with my life. And I'm not, I'm not even just talking about my actions. It's great. Don't, don't have sex before marriage. But go further than that. God, I want, you to, I want my mind to be pure. 
I want what comes in front of my eyes to be pure. I want you to be glorified with the way that I live. So that when I, if, if you were to give me this relationship, I would actually be pure in it. And I would glorify you in these things. Pornography is so prevalent. It's absolutely everywhere. It attacks you with this false sense of satisfaction that the world puts in front of you and says, listen, you, the God of self and the God of sex, they're right there together on display in pornography. You can be satisfied and you can be gratified. You can be worshipped. All of those are a false lie that, that the devil is scheming to present to us that is actually a contradiction to what God has said. No, one man and one woman together in the confines of marriage actually gives God glory. Anything else glorifies the created rather than the creator. And so God's call here is not for us to, to worship ourselves He's actually saying, Paul's saying, listen, you've exchanged the truth of God, what is good and right and pure, for a lie. Sex was not designed for the fulfillment of self, but for the fulfillment of obedience to God. Sex was not designed for the fulfillment of self, but it was designed as we see in Genesis 1, for the fulfillment of obedience to God. We've, that is the last thing that you and I think about when we think about sex. The last thing that we think about is how am I glorifying and obeying God in this? And even in, even in marriage, right? Even in beautiful Marriage where two people love one another and care for one another, sex can become this idolatry and an impure thing. I can actually look to my wife to, to meet a need that I have rather than trying to glorify God as I love her and lay down my life for her. And there's a lot to this. Like we're not gonna we're not gonna plumb the depth of this truth right now. But we have to state this truth and we have to hold this out as this is what we're shooting for, all of us. Whether we're married, whether we're single, whether we're an adolescent, like all of us are seeking that God would be glorified in our passions. That He would be glorified in our hearts. That He would be glorified in our minds. And so then we need to expose like where are the areas where, there, where He's not being glorified? Pornography is one. Homosexuality is one. Promiscuity is another. And then even in, our, even in, in those that are married, there are ways that, that we don't glorify God with our sexuality. This is pretty hard stuff to sit under. And yet God is redeeming. God is doing a work that would take our dishonorable passions and align them with his passion. That would take our, our desire to serve and gratify ourselves 
and turn it into desire to obey and glorify him. And he does it in every area of your life, even the hidden areas, even the secret areas, even when you think nobody is looking, God is looking to redeem those moments for his glory so that he would be glorified. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. This debased mind. Sometimes it's translated as disqualified. It's really a mind that's that's not seeking to honor God, but is actually seeking to honor the self. A mind that um, is, is seeking to understand Sometimes rather than trust. Anybody, anybody here in that, one, in that category? Uh, a mind that seeks to understand rather than trust. Listen, understanding is great, man. That's a gift of God that he would give it to us. That we would understand and, and that we would um, have this great knowledge. Those are gifts of God. But when we depend and rest in our own knowledge and our own understanding... We're actually denying that God's in control and we're, we're telling him, listen, if I don't understand it, it's just not true. And yet faith says that I take hold of these things that I don't see, that I don't understand, and I trust that your word is true. I trust that what you say is true, God. So a debased mind here would lean on its own understanding. 2 Timothy 3, 6-9, through he Paul's writing to Timothy and he's saying, for among them, and he's talking about the, the wolves, the, the, the false teachers, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all. As, that, as was that of those two men. Those two men uh, are the, the little guys in uh, Prince of Egypt. Maybe you remember them. They're the ones Moses throws down the snake. They throw down their bigger snake and Ra, and they do the dance, right? But the reality is that God then, uh, Moses' snake eats their snakes. Like God is a God who is full of knowledge and power and wisdom. And yet, there's others of a debased mind that trust in their own understanding and their own abilities rather than in God's abilities. You see, a debased mind disregards faith. Hebrews 11, 1-3 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created, how? By the word of God. You and I take hold of, of our understanding of how the world was created in such a way that it's by faith. None of us were there. None of us saw it, but we have God's Word that tells us how it happened. And so we believe God to be true. And we rest in that, and we take hold of it by faith. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. A debased mind only believes what it can experience physically, what it can see, hear, feel, taste, and smell. Isn't that what culture is saying? Like, 
All of these things, it's appealing to your sense of being, what, what you can experience. And if you've experienced it, then it's real. And if you haven't, then it's not real. And yet we're saying, no, God says what's real and what's not real. It's not based on my experience. Now, beautifully, so much of my experience points to God's truth. But there are things that I've experienced where I have to, I have to go back to God's Word and I have to say, I'm not going to come with my debased mind, God. I'm going to come with a faith-filled heart of belief that trusts that you're good and that you're in control. I'm going to rest there. You see, this debased mind, this uh, basis of experience, it leads to the person being the center of the universe. The created that can be seen being worshipped instead of the creator who is not seen. That's this debased mind. So these three things happen. God gave them up to their impurity. God gave them up to their dishonorable passions. God gave them up to their debased mind. That's the state we're left in. What is the remedy for that? Is it, well, we just need to fix our minds. We just need to be pure. Listen, there's a, there's a, a wound that has been done. And saying, listen, you, you just need to be pure. You need to fix yourself. You need to practice all the right things. I know growing up in a, in a culture that was, I kissed dating goodbye and like you needed to be pure and there was this, this it was put on you to do. Now, I'm not saying that, that we don't have an obligation in this. I'm saying that, that you and I in and of ourselves, we cannot be pure. We cannot have a right mind. We cannot fix our passions so that they will be honorable. We need a Savior. We have a Savior in Jesus. You see, the remedy for all of this is the Gospel. The Gospel remedy is better than your ability to fix, satisfy, or define yourself. So often the problem is so hard and so complex that we'll just change the question. We'll, we'll redefine ourselves. We'll redefine what it means to be a person when God has clearly defined what it means to be a person. We'll redefine what it means to have rightly ordered passions and we'll just include all of these passions when God has clearly said what is a rightly ordered passion. We'll trust in ourselves instead of having faith in the one who created. So the gospel remedy is better than your ability to fix, satisfy, or define yourself. Colossians 3, 5-6 through 6 say this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. We began in verse 18, the wrath of God being poured out for unrighteousness and ungodliness. And here we see it in Colossians. And you're like, what? but Paul just said put to death. Like, how are we going to do that? That sounds like that's an us thing. We should be killing these things. But you just have to go back a little to 3.3. 3. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. If you're, if you're dead, you're not putting anything to death. You don't get to, to do this thing because you have died and your life is in Christ. So now we have to look and say, well, what has Christ done? What has Christ done in me? If I'm dead and my life is hidden in Christ, 
then maybe that's the key to putting to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity. You see, the, the beauty of this remedy is that I am not an autonomous identity. I don't get to stand out and say who I am and then tell others who they are. No, the beauty of the gospel is that I have been given an identity. It's a with Christ identity. Everything that Christ is now, I am too. I'm dead to sin. How do I know? Because he lived a perfect life. His passions were rightly ordered. He was pure. His mind trusted in the Father. He kept coming back to the Father in dependence and in trust and in obedience. See, this is the good news of the Gospel is that we have an atoning work of Christ that's been done on the cross for you and for me. And it's an identity that you and I take hold of by faith. The same faith that we take hold of the Creator who created. And He's Lord and He's God and He's in control. That same faith we take hold of and He sent His Son, Jesus, to pay the price for my sin, my idolatry, Today, maybe from my dishonored passions. There's a guilt that comes with sexual sin, and I just want you to know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Outside of Christ Jesus, there is wrath. There is judgment. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, your sin has been paid for on the cross. You don't have to serve penance for it today. Jesus took it all for you. But He holds out. No longer live in those dishonorable passions. Walk in a purity and a beauty of His righteousness today. This is the identity that you and I take hold of by faith. We trust that Christ on the cross received the payment for my sin. That He rose again saying that that payment is paid. And then that now you and I who were dead in Christ also rise again. And we rise with a new life in Christ. A life that has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. A life that allows us to walk in righteousness with rightly ordered passions and a right trusting faith. Purity. Not that we have to go and develop, but that's been put on us. An identity that we've been given in Christ. So today, you and I get to walk in those things. This is the beauty of what it means to be in Christ because His Spirit dwells in the hearts of believers. The Spirit that changed your heart is also changing your passions and your desires and rightly ordering them. Romans 8. We'll get there probably in about... Six or seven years. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Listen, here's the beauty. We talked about glorifying God. If we're in Christ, 
We're united to Christ. We also know that Christ is God. So there's a, there's a glory that's coming that we're going to walk in and that we actually get to walk in today even as we are changed from that person who had dishonorable passions to a person who has rightly ordered passions. To a person who is impure into a person who is pure. Not because we're doing any of this, but because God is doing this and He is being glorified and we receive the glory in that too, which is crazy. Like, I don't understand that. I think one day we'll have a really understand it. Until then, we're just, we got a lot of questions, but we know it's true because God said it. Listen, this morning has been um, challenging and sweet. We said sometimes you have those sweet ones and sometimes you have those challenging ones. We have it both today. Really, probably any time we go to Scripture, it should be both of those things. It should be challenging because it points to our sin. It should be sweet because it points to our Jesus. So this morning, I pray that we would have heard that. I pray that it would even give you, give you language to, to address things in your home, to address things in your neighborhood, to address things in your extended family, to point clearly to Jesus. To say, yeah, man, our, our passions are, are they're dishonorable. Like they're, they're so messed up. And yet, God is changing them. God has done a work to forgive me of my dishonorable passions and to give me new right passions. First and foremost, for His glory. For His name to be made much of. For Him to be lifted high in my life. I do it faultingly. I do it, do it with a lot of repentance. But I... But we're doing that together as a people. Lifting high the name of Jesus. Praise God for what He's doing. I rejoice. We'll be back here next week for this, really focusing on the last verse of this passage. But I pray that this was an encouragement to you. I pray that it would also lead you to a place of repentance. All of us. To a place of confession and repentance that we would say, God, I want to turn from these things and I want to turn to you. And we would run to Him. Amen? God, we thank you. I thank you for the the clarity of your truth today. God, that we can call sin, sin, because we have an incredible Savior. We have a Redeemer who has given Himself, both God and man. The only one who, who could right the wrongs of the first Adam was the second Adam, Jesus. And you've done it. So Lord, I pray that today we would not have a debased mind seeking to be able to to figure it all out, but we would place our trust and our hope and our belief and our faith in you. I thank you, Lord, for this time where we get to take communion together, remembering that it's your work, it's your gospel remedy that would save us. But we'd also remember the weight of the cost, the very pricely cost of our salvation. God Himself gave His Son for us. Thank You for rightly ordering society. Thank You for rightly ordering households. Thank You for rightly ordering our hearts. Lord, may we submit to You. May You be glorified in our lives. We ask all this in Your name. In Jesus' name, amen.